This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to Hour 3 in the Freedom Hut. Best part of my day, hanging out with all of you, so thank you very much for that. Uh, Phone lines open, 888-900-3393. Don't leave me here solo. Come on, team, give me a ring. Let's talk about something. And also, please do download the podcast of the show. It's the easiest way uh, for you to share the show with a friend. You are you are the marketing budget. You are the evangelists for the Freedom Hut. It's all of you listening. So please do get one friend to listen. Every time I get somebody sends me a message says I got a friend to listen and he or she really likes the show now, it makes my day. So anytime I get one of those makes me really happy. So please, I'd ask that favor from all of you if you don't mind. Okay, Politico.com. Politico is a left-wing site. Not as left-wing, though, as Slate. It's sort of along the CNN line of things where it's journalism, but they happen to always agree with Democrats. <laughs> that's, that's one way to put it. And you go to Politico.com right now and you look at its front page, and this really tells you a lot. And this is the sort of thing that you can't conjure up out of nowhere You can't make it up, and I don't think that they even realize they're doing it. But you have the main story is a photo of Donald Trump looking sort of, uh, you could say ominous. Looking pensive, if you want to be charitable, but ominous might be a better word. Polls show Trump with historically low approval ratings. Majorities of Americans now view Trump unfavorably and also disprove of the way in which Trump has built his incoming administration. Put a pin on that for a second. Three stories below that. Trump, Price, and Hill, GOP, at odds on Obamacare. So strife within the Republican Party on Obamacare. Story next to that. The alt-right comes to Washington. The specter of this Vile, racist, alt-right now looming over all of D.C. right when Trump's inauguration is about to happen. What a coincidence. And then Trump noses into one of the world's biggest mergers. Ah, yes, of course. Trump, who cannot be trusted, who's in the pocket of Russia, and who's going to be an authoritarian who picks winners and losers in the market, and his business dealings are going to influence him in undue ways when he is commander-in-chief. This is just the front page of BuzzFeed. Every single story that you see when you go to the front page right now, or, or the, main, the main page, they call it the carousel usually on sites, where they have the big blown-up photos and the big headlines, is anti-Trump. Not, hey, here's something you didn't know about one of Trump's nominees. Not, 
here's a little background on how inaugurations have gone in the past. And certainly not anarchists are planning to disrupt, disrupt Trump's inauguration with violence, protests, destruction of property, any of that. No, it's just one story after another to reinforce how terrible Trump is. Back to the main story, that polls show Trump with historically low approval ratings. Media is congratulating itself right now because they've been able to shape perception about an incoming president before he's done really anything of consequence. And they view their ability to make the approval needle go or trend down as evidence, much needed evidence now of their continued importance in American public discussion. So they can make Trump look bad even when he hasn't done anything, even when he's not president, and they can change minds in America on that issue. They view that as a victory. They think this is good. Makes them happy. It's laziness here from a lot of journalists and fear. Two things that when you combine them, you get very bad outcomes. Laziness because write an anti-Trump story, you'll get published. Write an anti-Trump story, you'll be fetid by those around you. You'll be celebrated. You'll have people that want to talk about how great your piece is. And then uh, it's based in fear because if you don't do that, you may lose your job. You may be thought of as less by your colleagues. And so this creates an echo chamber effect that's playing out day in and day out without interruption. And you don't have any serious effort by journalists who keep saying they're going to hold Trump accountable and speak truth to power to put forward realistic policies that they want Trump to adopt. You don't have any serious effort to persuade Republicans to take a a center path on a middle road, a middle ground on any major issue the Trump administration will put forward. It's just all the destruction of the Trump administration via character attacks and smears and a relentless, an absolutely relentless drumbeat of Trump is the worst, Trump is the worst, Trump is the worst. And it bothers me in a lot of ways. One of them is that it, it factors into how I view things because, as I've said to you before, I take the perspective of, well, now I know, I know they're trying to destroy Trump and every story is, yet, is supposed to be yet another piece to add on to the top of the destroy Trump effort. So we know they're trying to they're trying to destroy Trump and anything that I see now is has to at least go through that lens. Which obscures my own judgment in some ways and I, I'm aware of that. Because it starts to force you into this reflexive defensive crouch of oh okay, yet another hit piece on Trump. Yet another character attack on one of his cabinet nominees another story about fake news or the alt-right or this has become an obsession in the media there's nothing else they really want to talk about there are some major policy issues that will affect all of us that we could spend a lot of time on that journalists could be educating the public about could be having a much more fulsome discussion about these issues washington examiner for example reporting that Trump is eyeing a 10% spending cut and a 20% slash in federal workers. One of the great unspoken policy, looming policy disasters right now, and it's not unspoken as in never spoken of, but no one's talking about it right now, 
is that we are spending ourselves into oblivion and we have entitlements that are unsustainable and interest rates will rise and they then servicing the debt will take up a much larger share of, of GDP. And that once that happens, there will be very serious, deleterious effects on the economy. It's just a matter of time. We used to talk about entitlement reform. Remember this under Romney and Ryan? That was one of the fights. And Obama was just, they want to throw grandma off a cliff. They don't want to give her health care. They want to, Romney wants to give people cancer. He has this magic cancer wand that he, you know, because he's such a, a capitalist pig that he waves over people to give them cancer. It's a horribly intellectually dishonest and, and gross and gutter campaign that the Obama team ran against Romney, but. Remember, he was mean to a dog because the dog was in a carrier on the roof of the car or something like that. This is the stuff we learned about Mitt Romney. who was about as clean-cut and personally irreproachable a figure as you're going to find in American politics today. But we were talking about debt. There was at least a discussion happening about what this country is facing, that we have unsustainable programs in place. And you have the massive theft of wealth. And I know this is going to upset some of my boomers listening right now, but it's okay. We love you. Just got to call it what it is. A theft of wealth through government hands. They would call it a transfer of wealth from the young to the old or younger to older. As a result of economic policies that inflate asset prices, as a result of policies put in place under the great society that are just now we're starting to see what the full bill will be for the boomer generation with Medicare and Social Security. But that Social Security is more manageable. Medicare is out of the spending is just out of control. It's far too much. And neither Trump nor Obama nor the Democrats, nobody wants to touch it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Trump talking about a 10% cut in discretionary spending is worth at least considering as a means of slowing this down. But the real money, as we all know, the real money is in automatic spending. The real money is already uh, in the budget through mandated programs, Medicare, Social Security. And that's what you would have to deal with to put the U.S. on a more sound fiscal footing long term. They don't want to talk about it. They don't care. Neither side is talking about it right now. I don't know if it's going to happen in four years of Trump or eight years of Trump or whoever comes after that, that finally the music will stop and we'll have to deal with this problem. I do find it fascinating, though, that Trump destroying the country has become a, a meme now. This is a constant refrain. The media is hitting it all the time. We're always being told about this. And we're not focusing on what at one point was a bipartisan concern wasn't necessarily agreement on it that we were heading down an unsustainable path and that the massive transfer of wealth of trillions of dollars that is occurring uh, through the government programs that take care of the more likely to vote older population in this country and Obamacare also as a as a continuation of the transfer of young and healthy to older and sicker that doesn't get addressed doesn't get talked about isn't touched and the 10% of spending that team, that team Trump may put into effect is going to be fought tooth and nail by Democrats, even though it doesn't really mean that much except for 
the symbolism of finally cutting back spending. It's not going to save us, not going to change anything, not going to stop anything. And Republicans, keep in mind, couldn't even keep to their own sequester. Right? They, the sequester was a, a decrease in the rise in spending. So this is spending yourself into oblivion less quickly, not even, not even turning the curve in the other direction, just spending yourself into oblivion less quickly. And the GOP balked on that because of the sequester and how it affected military spending. So we, we have seen fiscal discipline from neither side of the aisle. And the Trump team doesn't seem to want to touch any of this stuff. And they recognize that it's just unpopular because dealing with reality in this instance is unpopular. This is the one place where Trump's tell it like it is philosophy didn't come into effect. Right. Trump saying the border is broken. We've got problems with legal immigration. Obama speaks about radical Islam as though it's not a problem or tries to downplay the problem. That was all speaking. That was all telling it like it is. There's none of that happening on entitlements. There's none of that happening on long-term spending. And these budget fights that are going to happen now in D.C. with Republicans in control of the House and the Senate, we're really going to see who we're dealing with on all of this. I think they're going to be happy now that they have control of the government to spend in the way that they see fit. They're not going to, t- they're not going to touch mandated programs. And there may be some transfer of government revenue, which, of course, is just a fancy word, a fancy way of saying your tax dollars, money taken from you under threat of force. Those spending reductions may help pay for Trump's increases for the Pentagon budget. They may shore up some of the tax cuts and might even be used to pay for the wall on the southern border. That's at least what's being said here. It's what the Washington Examiner is reporting. Part of this I find very interesting is the possibility of a 20% slash of federal workers. I want to return to that and what that means and how that may be factoring into a lot of what's happening right now on the other side of the break. Team, I'll be right back. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Buck Sexton Show. So, team, there's this reporting out there that Trump may try to slash 20% of federal workers, mostly through attrition and hiring freezes. But you do get into some discussion here of what would be the American deep state. The deep state, of course, refers to the Turkish deep state, which is the permanent military and bureaucracy apparatus considered more powerful even than elected officials, which was certainly true in the past, although in the Erdogan era, not clear that it's quite as true as it had been in Turkey. In this country, we tend to think of the deep state as the military-industrial complex, uh, but there's more than that. There's the 
permanent bureaucracy, the fourth branch of government, as some have called it. And they are a primarily Democrat entity. And so if you're going to start slashing the workforce, the federal workforce, that bureaucracy may lash out and fight back. This then ties in to some of the discussion we've seen about whether the leaks from in the intel community, or rather whether leaks about Trump are coming from the intel community or people in Senate Select Committee on Intelligence or from where. It is certainly feasible that there would be leaks from the intel community meant to undermine Trump because there were leaks to undermine Bush in the past. Uh, there, this is often a confusing subject for a lot of people because there were leaks under Obama, but they weren't meant to necessarily undermine Obama. They were either leaks of longstanding programs or there were leaks that had nothing to do with whistleblowing and just people that wanted to hurt the United States government uh, overall. But there were specifically anti-Bush leaks during the Bush administration. And I think that what we're seeing now are, are quite clearly we're seeing now anti-Trump leaks. The bureaucracy leans left and as i say about skynet and terminator i've told you this many times in the past it is self-aware and if they really believe that trump is going to slash 20 percent of federal workers then there may be pushback in ways that involve dirty pool in ways that involve underhanded politics and the politicization of what are supposed to be entirely non-political roles so that is something to keep an eye on also don't think the Democrats don't know this and aren't aware of the power that the American deep state or the permanent bureaucracy, the fourth branch of government, truly has. You've got President Obama, according to the New York Post here, rushing to fill 100 federal government vacancies in the last few weeks in office. He's put 72 people in federal job openings and nominated another 17 for positions that require Senate confirmation. Um, they include... Avril Haynes, named a member of the National Commission on Military, National and Public Service. Sarah Hurwitz, a speechwriter for Michelle Obama. So Obama, is, and there's many others. Obama is last minute putting people into federal civil service positions, knowing that they are trusted Democrats, and knowing that now that they're going to be put in some of these federal roles, it is very hard under civil, civil service rules to get rid of some of these people. This is part of the enduring Obama legacy. He stacked the courts, and we need not we need to not for, uh, make sure we do not forget about this. He stacked the courts, not including the Supreme Court, but he stacked the U.S. Court of Appeals and federal federal uh, courts with leftists, and that was why the, the Senate Democrats got rid of the filibuster, so that Obama could do that, and he did. And he would nominate, and they would just slam him right through. And they, those are lifetime appointments. So the federal bench has been staffed with Obama loyalists. And they're not going anywhere under a Trump presidency. And they're not changing one note. Their tunes are going to be exactly the same. And now there's this effort to slam through regulations and put trusted Democrats into the federal bureaucracy right before Obama leaves. Got to ask yourself. Why, whatever happened to the people have spoken, the will of the people, Obama, should, the, the incoming administration should get deference and the respect of, I, I think Obama's intentionally making this as complicated and hard for the Trump administration as they can. There's not, there's only so much they can really do. But I think Obama's speech, his last speech, his last day of the unity he gave in Chicago, 
all the stuff about making it easier for Trump is really hollow. They're making this as hard as possible. It should also be noted that, you know, the Clinton version of the transition involves stealing the W's from all the keyboards in the White House. I mean, just a, a childish, stupid, very expensive prank. And it's really not funny to force the White House to waste a lot of time like that. It's, not, it's actually not funny. It was childish and petty and vindictive. That was the Clintons. I think you could say the Obama administration's perhaps a little more subtle and sly about how they're undermining the incoming Republican administration, but there's still an effort underway. Um, okay, team, uh, phone's open, 888-900-3393. Buck Sexton here. We'll be back in just a few. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, we have a new guest here in the Freedom Hut, Ellie May. Newsmax named her as one of the 30 most influential Republicans under 30. She is a YouTube sensation who's most famous for her fun, informative top 10 reasons I'm not a Democrat. She's a writer and video contributor to conservative heroes Dinesh D'Souza and Wayne Dupree. Ellie May joins us now. Thanks for calling in, Ellie. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Buck. All right, so uh, let's let's start with this. You are you are twenty four. You're a conservative writer and uh, and and video, uh, what video blogger, a vlogger is that what we call it, right? So you, you're already in the fight here at at a young age. How'd you how'd you get into this? How'd you find yourself doing conservative commentary? Okay, so it all started actually uh, with me asking my mom about the Obama phones. I asked her why she was against them because. To me, this was about three years ago. And to me, uh, getting a free phone for someone who needed a job sounded like a good idea. But she actually told me, you know, it's the taxpayers who pay for those phones. And to me, that was just like a mind-blowing concept I didn't understand. Ever ever since I was little growing up, I, I thought the government made its own money. And I know it sounds kind of stupid, but I never realized that the taxpayers funded absolutely everything. And so the concept of taking money out of someone's paycheck uh it seemed unjust to me so i i just started uh my gear started turning and then she introduced me to rush limbaugh and that's when things really started to change and uh it was crazy (laughs) because to me yeah everything he was saying challenged like everything i ever believed in for politics and and whatnot so i felt like i just had to start speaking up because i felt like young people didn't really uh, have this perspective in their life. So, yeah, I just started speaking up about it, and things went from there. So, uh, were, you, were you somebody who, in school then, did you have to deal with some of the, the craziness of the, the liberals that have overtaken the education system, or did you keep it out of the classroom? Um, I think, for the most part, I uh, keep it out of the classroom, even at work, you know. I try to stay low-key, um, and I've kept a lot of friends that way, actually. But, of course, you know, I subtly will say things uh, without shoving conservatism down anyone's throat. But um, I actually worked with a kid who uh, was a full-on Bernie supporter, 
And then he started learning about taxes, and he turned into a libertarian. So I've had some very interesting experiences with people, and uh, it's been great, honestly. So, Do you feel like there are a lot of uh, – are you in contact with a lot of, of your peers, so people in their early and mid-20s, who are excited about a Trump presidency? Or are you hearing from a lot of pro-Trump millennials? Uh, are you Are you even – is there another designation now? What comes after millennial? But anyway – do you feel like there's more of a of a group out there that supports those things than the media is willing to talk about? Uh, I have a lot of Trump-supporting friends. One of my best friends, actually, is full-on for Trump, always has been. And so I would say most of my close friends uh, are conservative, but a lot of them do support Trump. Uh, like I said, you know, I work with people who are more left-leaning, and I, I try not to get into politics too much with them. Um, but, yeah, most of my friends love Trump you know, young people. And uh, definitely the media would never tell you that. But there's a lot of them out there. So it's it's encouraging that there are conservatives. What are you what are you hoping once once the Trump administration gets going here, Donald's going to get sworn in in just a couple of days? Uh, what are you hoping to see them do in the first hundred days? Um, You know, I'm just excited to give him a chance in general. I have been pretty critical of Donald Trump. I was for Ted Cruz. And uh, so I will just uh, say that I hope he sticks to most of his promises. Some of the things that he's promised I don't necessarily even agree with. So I hope, uh, you know, with Republicans in control that a lot of stuff gets done in our favor, and I think that it will. So. And for those in media right now who want to reach the, the 25 and under conservative set or the 30 and under conservative set, what do you think the keys are? I mean, I know you're on YouTube and you're building up a following there. You're a young conservative. Newsmax has named you one of the uh, 30 most influential Republicans under 30. Congrats again on that. Thank How you. do you think Thank conservatives can can reach the uh, can reach the, the <laughs> I'm going to sound like the oldest man on the planet here can reach the youth? <laughs> um, I honestly think that it is important to kind of. Uh, take advantage of the few celebrities who do support conservatism and, you know, quote them once in a while, like Vince Vaughn even, and, uh, you know, roll with that because sadly celebrities do appeal to young people, maybe not to me, but to people who might not be so interested in politics. They trust celebrities. While they shouldn't, they do. So, you know, that's always a good tool. Um, I would say keeping things short and simple. That's kind of why I did, you know, top 10 reasons was because it's short, simple to the point, And it's always just kind of funny, not super deep in a language that young people can understand. That isn't using big terms that we're so used to using uh, that politically involved people are, you know, familiar with. You have to kind of speak to, you know, your audience, the appropriate audience, and just speak in a way that they can understand. So... All right, Ellie, where should people listening, if they want to see more of your videos and, and the work that you're up to as a young conservative, where should they go? Uh, you can check out Dinesh D'Souza's channel, actually, or you can go on Twitter at E-L-L-Y-S-A underscore M-A-Y-E. And that's where I'll be. All right. Ellie May, congrats again on your 30 under 30 in Newsmax. Uh, appreciate you joining. All the best of luck to you, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. All right, team, we'll be back right after the break. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network.
You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show. I came across this in my read uh, read in this morning when I was looking for stuff to talk about today on the show and stories. And I this huge alligator in Florida. I don't know if you've seen this video. I, it's it's a cool video. I feel like it might, is it real or fake? I, I feel so dumb on some of these things because people oh it's so obviously fake. I was like really is it obviously fake? I'm not good at the video editing knowing if the video editing has changed things or not. I, there can be really big alligators. They say it's 12 feet long. That doesn't sound unthinkably long to me. Saltwater crocodiles, for realsies, can get to be uh, 20, 25 feet long in, in Australia. They do look like dinosaurs. They're terrifying. They're huge. Uh, but I think an alligator that's 12 feet long doesn't sound completely beyond the pale. There's this video, though. You see this thing. It's big. Big. They have some big gators. Down in Florida. So I don't know if any of you have thoughts. Maybe we'll put it on Facebook. You tell me. Is real or fake? And what do you think? Any of you seen an alligator this big before? There's probably a, there's probably like an alligator specialist in our audience. We could have an alligator specialist come on the show sometime. Uh, somebody who really knows about gators. Although anytime I think of somebody who's a gator specialist, just because I'm a Yankee from New York City, I was thinking it's going to be a guy who's like, I guarantee, oh yeah, in the swamp, we look for the gator. You know, sort of Cajun stuff. Um was that was that a Montreal or Cajun? It sounds the same to me, I guess, in my ear. I, I should probably separate out these accents. All right, I've got some callers. They're going to save me from my nonsense here. John in Pennsylvania, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Shields high. Hi, Buck. How you doing? I'm right. How are you? To, uh, what you were say- I was listening to what you were saying about um, impacting the, the courts. Uh, what, this is not something I came up with on my own. I heard it on another show, actually, from the show in the morning. He talked to a couple of the congressmen about it. What I heard they were talking about doing was splitting the Ninth Circuit, um, shipping some of those people like to the border and places where they need like more uh, more judges. And, and based on the rules that uh, Harry Reid set up, they should be able to uh, actually basically pack another court uh, the same with uh, Republicans. And on that same vein, the uh, one thing I wanted to say was that I think one of the reasons why these people are going so bug nuts is because I think Harry, what Harry Reid did with uh, it was kind of like one of those sets in volleyball where he kind of lopped it up there for the person to come behind and smash it over, which was supposed to be Hillary, and uh, so they could get like every liberal wet dream they ever dreamed of to, to go through. And of course, Trump ended up getting the ball, and I think that's making them extra crazy, knowing that. So. That was my that was my two cents anyway. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, yeah, I, th- I think there was an assumption, John, that Hillary Clinton was going to be the president and therefore would be able to continue Obama's progressive march and also would benefit from things like the elimination of the filibuster. Keep in mind, th- there's a you know, there's reason to believe the Democrats thought they were going to take the Senate, too. And then you might have been in a position where they figure, let's just go for it. We get Hillary with executive orders, and we also remove, we, we make it a straight up or down vote in the Senate. We change Senate rules so there's no filibuster even for Supreme Court nominees. And then they pack the Supreme Court with progressive loyalists. And now it's, now the permanent bureaucracy and the courts are all locked in for good. And so elections matter a whole lot less. We, I think we've quickly gone from Trump, uh, Trump's victory, or rather from from Hillary's defeat to Trump is imperfect as a conservative candidate or Trump is a very flawed candidate from the perspective of conservative values without spending enough time on we really dodged something nasty with Hillary Clinton being the next president of the United States. 
and they were yeah, teeing it up for her, her. and that was the expectation. I heard him list off all the people that uh, she was going to bring in in her cabinet, and it was a who's who of crazy progressive liberal people. So, oh yeah, oh we we were going to be we were going to be marinating in a progressive stew for the next four, most likely the next eight years, with no escape. And at least with Trump, no matter how much, as a Republican or a conservative or both or whatever, no matter how much you hate Trump, at least there's some hope that it will be better that he'll be better than that. There was no hope of Hillary Clinton being better than that. that she was going to give you exactly what was promised to the progressive left. Uh, you're going to have all the worst stuff. You're going to have the big government, the divisiveness, the um, identity politics, the sort of progressive anti-Christian, uh, I would say anti-American ethos. And you'd also have the crony capitalism and the deal-making behind closed doors and the green energy boondoggles and all that other crap, too. I mean, that's what you were going to get with Hillary. No question, no ifs, ands, or buts. So at least with Trump, I mean, I, I'm more hopeful than this, but at least with Trump, there's a chance. This was sort of my thinking. This was my thinking all along. Um, so that's where I am on that. Keep up the good work. Hey, man. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Shield's high. Jim in Maryland. Do we lose him? Jim? Jim in Maryland, we were so excited to have you on. And in the span of me taking one call, you decided to bail on us. We still heart you, Jim, but we thought we were going to get the chat. All right. So uh, someone tell me if that alligator is real or not. I'm, I, I think I'm going to go real on the alligator. Also, I don't, <laughs> I'm not somebody who really watches football much. Uh, I watch it a little bit with my brothers and my dad sometimes just because it's a, you know, man, it's man time. Uh, we, we do that. Um, Ladies in my family, mom and sister, tend more towards the Real Housewives end of the spectrum in terms of their viewing choices. They like the Real Housewives. They like some of those Bravo shows and Dance Moms. Um, the Sexton brothers and dad like football a whole lot more. And uh, New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick is dismissing comments. I see this on a C one of the CBS affiliates here. Made in a controversial Facebook Live video posted by Antonio Brown. And sports writer Ryan Hannibal tweeted Monday that Belichick made light of the video saying, I'm not on snap. I don't even know what's uh, just to be clear. I don't even know what was said in the, do you know, uh, Shaman, do you know what was said in this uh, video by Antonio Brown? Any? No, I don't either. Okay. I don't know if you're, I, I don't know if you're a football fan or not. I feel like everybody knows this stuff except for me, but I just like, the, I, I like this. I like this part of it. Uh, that Bilicek said that he's not on snap face and instant chat. He wrote a quote or he said, I'm not on snap face and all those. I'm not too worried what they put on instant chat. I, I feel, I feel, I feel like I'm a little more in touch now. I feel like I'm a little cooler, a little, a little more hip. Cause at least I know you don't call it snap face and instant chat. Oh man, that's awesome. Uh, Belichick went to uh, Middlebury, I think, which is uh, similar to my college, one of these small New England schools. I think he played football for them, but the football team at those schools is smaller than the football team at a lot of good-sized Texas high schools, I think. But I, I don't understand. I've said this before, the, this, this Snapchat phenomenon, I, I don't get it. I don't know why putting filters on your face is so entertaining or amusing. Uh, Ms. Molly likes Snapchat. I, I'm not a Snapchat person. She's tried to explain it to me. She's even given me tutorials on Snapchat, and I find myself still thinking, "What? What? I, I don't. I don't get it. Why is this a thing that people like to do?" I mean, even some of the major, 
news sources and news organizations out there are really trying to build out their Snapchat channels. And I just, I find myself sitting around saying, why is this even a thing? Why does this get people particularly fired up one way or the other? I, I don't know. Snapchat is probably valued at a tremendous amount. I don't even know off the top of my head. But this is the way it's all going in the future. We're going to be watching the news on, on as, as Belichick says, snap face and instant chat. <laughs> I like that. Snap face. I'm going to start calling it snap face. It's like when people used to say the interwebs, you know, the uh, connected cathode tubes, cathode ray tubes of the, of the, of the interwebs. Oh, I got to get, get more technologically savvy. Maybe I'm going to start watching some YouTube videos on, on how to learn how to do things on snap face and instant chat. So we'll see how all that goes. I will be watching, I think, the football this weekend. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that on Friday, just just because we'll mix it up. Your thoughts on today's show, team, always appreciated. Would love to hear from you on anything and everything you got in mind, both things that we've talked about and things you'd like us to talk about. If you have any guest suggestions, please do feel free to uh, reach out anytime. It'd be great to chat with you about that. And we've got a lot of show the rest of the week. Got the inauguration coming up. So, team, I'll see you in the Freedom Hut tomorrow and every day this week. Shields high. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.